Tonight we're going to explore the formal equanimity practice in the vein of the Brahma-vihara practice. Because as Winnie mentioned last night, actually the practice we've been doing all along, the insight practice, the Vipassana practice, is an equanimity practice. And so we have been cultivating this quality all along. And yet there is a a way that the equanimity as a Brahma-vihara, I understand to be a bit more oriented towards equanimity in relationship particularly relationship with other other beings. And to begin, I want to read a story. One day in late summer, an old farmer was working in his field with his old sick horse. The farmer felt compassion for the horse and desired to lift its burden. So he left his horse loose to go to the mountains and live out the rest of its life. Soon after, neighbors from the nearby village visited, offering their condolences and said, what a shame, now your only horse is gone. How unfortunate you are. You must be very sad. How will you live, work the land and prosper? The farmer replied, who knows, we shall see. Two days later, the old horse came back, now rejuvenated after meandering in the mountainsides while eating the wild grasses. He came back with 12 new younger horses, (laughs) which followed the old horse into the corral. Word got out in the village of the old farmer's good fortune, and it wasn't long before people stopped by to congratulate the farmer on his good luck. How fortunate you are, they exclaimed. You must be very happy. Again, the farmer softly said, who knows, we shall see. At daybreak on the next morning, the farmer's only son set off to attempt to train the new wild horses but the farmer's son was thrown to the ground and broke his leg. One by one, villagers arrived during the day to bemoan the farmer's latest misfortune. Oh, what a tragedy. Your son won't be able to help you farm with a broken leg. You'll have to do all the work yourself. How will you survive? You must be very sad, they said. Calmly going about his usual business, the farmer answered, Who knows? We shall see. Some days later, a war broke out. The emperor's men arrived in the village demanding that young men come with them to be conscripted into the emperor's army. As it happened, the farmer's son was deemed unfit because of his broken leg. What very good fortune you have, the villagers exclaimed as their own young sons were marched away. You must be very happy. Who knows, we shall see, replied the old farmer as he headed off to work his field alone. As time went on, the broken leg healed, but the son was left with a slight limp. 
Again, the neighbors came to pay their condolences. Oh, what bad luck. Too bad for you. But the old farmer simply replied, Who knows? We shall see. As it turned out, the other young village boys had died in the war, and the old farmer and his son were the only able-bodied men capable of working the village lands. The old farmer became wealthy and was very generous to the villagers. They said, Oh, how fortunate we are. You must be very happy. To which the old farmer replied, Who knows? We shall see. Etc. 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 And so the story goes. And so this is the mind of equanimity, the mind that takes pain and pleasure, gain and loss, praise and blame, fame and disrepute, and isn't buffeted around by it, holding on to, expecting the good fortune to continue, resisting, denying, hating the, uh, the pain and the loss. And this is the mind of equanimity. And yet, in the story, I like the story that it shows the farmer continuing to do his work. The equanimity is not about non-action. We continue doing what needs to be done and yet not clinging to results, not expecting or demanding particular results, or expecting or demanding our happiness rely on particular results. So as Winnie said last night, this quality of equanimity is a balance of mind. Some other words, non-reactivity, spaciousness, allowing, acceptance, impartiality, without preferences, And yet, again, it is not, as when he said, it's not indifference or apathy. When my, my um, nieces and nephews were younger in their, you know, eight to ten age, they had this uh, phrase they often would use when something happened that they felt was not in their best interest. And it was, whatever. (laughs) That is not equanimity. (laughs) (laughs) That uh, is a mind of rejecting or, or 
pushing back. It's not even really indifference or apathy in my, in my <laughs> way of hearing it. <laughs> One friend of mine um, had a really beautiful way of expressing um, this friend died a number of years ago, which is why I speak about her in the past tense. Um, a really beautiful way of expressing her understanding around equanimity. And this friend was ill for most of her life. She had five open heart surgeries. And there was a remarkable amount of calm and peace and equanimity in her. And at one point she articulated her understanding and she said, equanimity isn't, I don't care. It's more when the mind says, I don't mind this. I don't mind this. Nyanaponika Tara, a uh, scholar monk, wrote this about equanimity. Equanimity is a perfect, unshakable balance of mind rooted in insight. But in its perfection and unshakable nature, equanimity is not dull, heartless, and frigid. Its perfection is not due to an emotional emptiness, but to a fullness of understanding, to its being complete in itself. Its unshakable nature is not the immovability of a dead, cold stone, but the manifestation of the highest strength. And that is what equanimity is. It's, It's strength. It's strength rooted in wisdom. And one of the key aspects of wisdom that's connected with equanimity is this understanding of karma, the understanding of conditionality, that actions have consequences. And if we act from greed, aversion, delusion, that will tend to cultivate and create suffering in our lives and in in the lives of those around us. And if we act from non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, love, compassion, wisdom and generosity, we will tend to move in the direction of peace and ease and create that in the world around us. And so the classic reflection for equanimity practice, the classic phrase that's offered in the practice of equanimity in relationship is a reflection on this understanding. On this understanding that our actions 
have consequences and when we act skillfully, there are wholesome consequences. Unskillfully, there are unwholesome consequences. And others as well. Everyone experiences the consequences of their own actions. Their happiness and unhappiness depend upon their actions, their choices. We each have our own agency. It is a conditioned agency, it's not a self. But this being making choices, this being receives the ramifications, the consequences, the unfolding of those choices. And as we understand that what's arising in this moment, in a way, well, one thing that we can understand around karma is that what's arising in this moment, here and now, has been conditioned. It has come together based on an infinity of causes and conditions. And and some of those causes and conditions relate to our own choices. Some of them relate to the weather, relate to conditions of genetics or nature. So not everything that happens to us is because of our choices. And yet a good portion of how we are in this moment is shaped by our choices. And so here we have what what is arising in this moment. It's already here. And our happiness and unhappiness around the experience of this moment is in some measure dependent on what we have done in the past, but is in great part dependent on how we are right now with these conditions. And so this is where we step forward into the future in this moment. And understanding that our choices in this moment, and this is the only place we have to make a choice. This is it this moment. Our choice in this moment shapes our future, shapes the unfolding of our lives. And so the understanding of choosing skillfully in this moment supports movement towards freedom. And so in the equanimity practice, we bring beings to mind. And our work in the equanimity practice is to cultivate this equanimity in relationship. And so we bring people to mind that we love very dearly, for whom we deeply wish their well-being and happiness. 
And we acknowledge and recognize that we can't make them happy. That their choices, their decisions, their journey unfolds based on their actions. And we can't make their choices for them. And yet this isn't about giving up. Again, it's not about non-action. It may be that we attempt to connect, offer understanding or support for somebody that we love to support them making skillful decisions and choices. But ultimately we can't make those choices for them. And this is that terrain of equanimity that we explore the understanding that though we wish for the happiness of our dear families and friends, we cannot make them happy. And so there is, in respect to our connection with friends, family, dear ones, loved ones, the work in equanimity, perhaps around letting go of wanting to make them be happy, of trying to force their, our ideas of what their happiness would be on them. And then on the other side, we also cultivate equanimity for people that are difficult. For people who, for whom we perhaps see are causing harm in the world. And here, this same reflection, you're the owner of your actions. This is the formal phrase. You are the, the heir to your actions the owner and heir to your actions. Your happiness and unhappiness depend upon your actions, not upon my wishes for you. And so with somebody who's difficult, we may experience the turning towards the sense that they deserve what they get, perhaps. You know, that that kind of a twist in the mind of, yeah, if you're unhappy, you deserve it. And that's also not equanimity. And so as we practice bringing people to mind, bringing beings to mind, one of the ways that the equanimity practice functions is by, you know, we call to mind a being, we express the phrase of equanimity and we see how does it land how does it how does it make our hearts feel how does it affect us to offer this wish offer this understanding joseph talks about the phrase of equanimity being a gift of wisdom And so how does, it, how does it affect us? And, and you may find as we go through different 
different beings, that there's a different flavor in the heart. And many of these flavors will be slightly off of equanimity. And this is not a mistake. This is actually partly how the equanimity practice works, that as with the other Brahma-viharas, we are expressing a wish. The, the use of the phrases in uh, the, um, the Brahma-vihara practices is a way of kind of connecting to the intention towards the quality And so, may you be happy is connecting to the intention towards metta. This phrase, you are the owner of your actions. Your happiness and unhappiness depend upon your actions, not upon my wishes for you. That's an expression of the intention of equanimity. And so this, uh, I don't know if any of the other um, teachers mentioned that one of the ways to think about the use of phrases, Guy Armstrong uses the image of uh, the, the Brahma-vihara practices being like you're running a Brahma-vihara magnet over your heart. So this is the equanimity magnet. And what does a magnet do? It attracts its opposite. And so it draws to the surface of the heart those things which are not equanimity. And so as you explore this practice and maybe begin to see that as you bring a dear one to mind and wish this phrase, there may be a little bit of clinging or no, I really want them to be happy. You don't have to repress that or try to shift your, your experience to be something else. This is the practice working to pull into consciousness things that are in the way of equanimity. And when they're not in consciousness, they're kind of under the, under the surface and churning away, but as they come into consciousness, there's the possibility for us to meet them with wisdom, with equanimity. And so our work in this is to bring beings to mind, offer the phrase, and notice how we are. How does that phrase affect the heart? What arises in the heart? when we say that, make that wish. And so during the, the meditation, we'll start here shortly in the, in the formal meditation, we'll go through a number of different categories of beings. We'll, we'll use all the classical categories for the Brahma-vihara practice. And um, in the Brahma-vihara um, teaching in the Visuddhimagga. It teaches that for each of the Brahma-viharas, you start the practice where it's easiest. So whichever category of being is easiest with which to cultivate that quality. And so with compassion, it, the, the suffering being is, the, is the, the first being we start with, a being that's suffering. 
And with equanimity, the being that's easiest is somebody who's neutral. And so start, we'll start with, just let yourself kind of reflect on if you have somebody who you've been working with as a neutral person, you can start with that person for this practice. And then we'll go through various different categories. And with each category I name, we'll, we'll have the neutral person, a, a benefactor, a dear friend, a difficult person, the self said to be the most difficult of all for which to cultivate equanimity, and then we'll uh, shift to all beings. For each of those, for this uh, practice, for this time, just pick one person in each of those, those categories. And so finding a posture that feels comfortable and allowing your attention to just take in your experience in this moment. Perhaps connecting with the experience in the area of the heart. This is a Brahma-Vihara practice, after all. And perhaps breathing through the heart. Breathing connected with the tension in the heart center. And begin by reflecting on what a benefit it is to have balance of mind, what a gift it is to the world to offer peace, balance, and equanimity kind of a touching into the the possibility of offering a peaceful heart to the world. allowing yourself to call a neutral person into your mind. Seeing if you can connect with an image, perhaps, of this person. And if you're not very image-oriented, I sometimes will use the name of the person if I know it. Or sometimes just imagine as if the person were sitting in front of me with my eyes closed, just knowing that the person is in the room. Sometimes there's just a different feeling 
for each person. And so sometimes it can be a kinesthetic sense of the person. And offer this wisdom gift. You are the heir to your actions. Your happiness or unhappiness are dependent on your actions, not upon my wishes for you. offering the phrase, and then checking in in the area of the heart. How does it affect you to have made that offering? And again, connecting to the person offering the phrase. You are the heir of your own actions. Your happiness or unhappiness depends upon your actions, not upon my wishes for you. And checking in, how does it affect you? How does it land? How does it affect the heart? Can there be a sense of balance? Is there a sense of balance? Or perhaps a little bit of skew one way or the other. With a neutral person, it might be more of the flavor of not caring. And that too, remember the, I don't care versus, I don't mind this. If the phrase is a little complicated for you, I'll offer a slightly simpler phrase. I wish you happiness and cannot make your choices for you. Or I care for you and cannot make your choices for you. Continuing to explore the phrases for a neutral person.
And bringing a benefactor into mind. Someone who has supported you in your life, on your path. Connecting with them with an image, use of their name, the felt sense of being with them. You are the owner of your actions, the heir to your actions. Your happiness or unhappiness depend upon your actions, not upon my wishes for you. And checking in, how does it land to offer this gift of wisdom, this phrase of equanimity? How does it land in your own heart? You have a slightly different flavor than with the neutral person. I care for you and cannot make choices for you.
I'm bringing a dear friend to mind. I wish you happiness. I cannot make your choices for you. Sometimes with a dear friend, we might envision them in their life, knowing them, doing things that that are going on in their lives, perhaps going through praise and blame, gain and loss. And expressing this wish, there may be the wish for them to be able to hold on to that happiness. And yet recognizing that we can't make that so. You are the heir of your own actions, your happiness or unhappiness depend upon your actions, not upon my wishes for you. And how does it affect the heart? connect the wish, to connect the phrase of equanimity to your dear friend.
and bringing a difficult being to mind, someone perhaps for whom there is a challenging relationship connecting with them in some fashion in your mind, some sense of them, and expressing the phrase of equanimity. You are the owner, the heir of your actions. Your happiness and unhappiness depend upon your actions, not upon my wishes for you. And again, seeing what's called up in the heart with this offering the phrase to a difficult person. Sometimes with the difficult person our own sense of self can come up. What about me? What about my happiness and unhappiness? Just noticing that, if that's arising, as a piece of what's called up in this exploration, and exploring the possibility of holding that too. With some equanimity. For this difficult person, you are the heir to your actions. Your happiness or unhappiness depend upon your actions, not upon my wishes for you. It also might happen that this exploration of equanimity towards a difficult person can evoke compassion in the heart 
not only for the difficult person, but also potentially for beings that person has harmed. And recognizing that, again, equanimity is not passivity. At times, wisdom. will support action. And so noticing if this wish for equanimity for a difficult person feels in some way cut off from action, because that is not, also not equanimity. Equanimity is not apathy and inaction. And now allowing yourself to come to mind. Exploring, offering this wisdom, this gift of wisdom to yourself. I am the owner of my actions. I am the heir of my actions. My happiness and unhappiness are dependent on my actions, not simply upon my wishes. And again, noticing the flavor of how it lands in your heart as you connect with yourself.
And allowing your heart to open to many beings. All breathing beings. We are all the owners, the heirs of our actions. Our happiness and unhappiness depend upon our actions, not upon our wishes. Including oneself as one of all beings. Sometimes with all beings it can be playful to find pairs, categories. All human beings, all non-human beings. All those who are born, all those who are to be born. All those who are born are the owners of their actions, their happiness and unhappiness depend upon their actions, not upon my wishes, their wishes. And how does that land? We are all the owners, the heirs, of our actions. All of us, our happiness, our unhappiness depends upon our actions, not upon our wishes. The equanimity practice can be a really useful practice in daily life, in heading back to our families, to the holidays, 
it may support you to call this phrase to mind at times. And I would encourage you to play with it over these next days. It, it can be playful, you can be playful around the beings that you call in. Um, uh, it wouldn't normally happen to go through all of the categories in one sitting. But I wanted to give you the opportunity or the flavor of the subtle differences that may arise with the different beings and to be attuned to that in this practice. That's a big part of this practice is noticing what lands, how does it land to make this wish, to make this gift, this expression. Thank you for your equanimity practice this evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.